0: But uh, to botanists, they go into the detail and, and find out by looking at the fruit. And a little bit like that with us, God created us to be fruitful. And we're going to have a look at what Jesus actually said. But, you know, Satan has one aim before we are Christians. It's really quite simple. He has one aim, and that's to stop us coming to Christ. But once we have come to Christ, he has one aim, and that's to stop us Being fruitful, to stop us being effective. So it's in our interest to sort of keep an eye on that because he doesn't give up trying to stop us. Once we're saved, that's his one goal: is to stop us being fruitful. So we're going to have a look at uh, what Jesus said. And um, no, that's the button. And Jesus said that I am the vine, and you are the branches. And that's probably a little bit. Can you see that? Alright. It's a, a, um, yeah, not quite as large as it should have been. But Jesus said, I am the vine and you are the branches. I'm the vine and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes, so that it will even be more fruitful. You already are clean because of the word I've spoken to you. Remain in me and I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. So we, we see there Jesus talking about us to being fruitful. Fruit that will last will be fruit that comes out of our relationship with him as we remain in him. And then in verse 16, if we skip down, it says... still hard to see um jesus said you did not choose me but i chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit fruit that will last so jesus is specifically talking about producing fruit that will last for eternity and he goes on to say and so whatever you ask in my name the father will give you and this is my commandment love each other you know um it's interesting to look, if we look at the, the rest of that, the bits that we missed out, in between verse 16, where Jesus says, I am the vine and you are the branches. And he goes on, he's, he repeats himself something like five times in that whole passage and he says, remain in me. Now, why did he say remain in me so many times? i think he was emphasizing that that relationship we have if we if our life is going to be fruitful we need to remain in him remain in him remain in him remain in his love i get from that that it's fairly easy to walk away and he's saying remain in him it's like there's a, a fence around us it's like a foxproof fence and we need to remain in there but we have that choice to walk outside of that anytime we want but if we do we'll be unfruitful we won't be producing the sort of fruit that he's called us to produce and um you know we we read last week at communion time ephesians two ten says that we are god's masterpiece created to do good things to be a masterpiece as we mentioned is not just an average sort of a thing it's a masterpiece and if it's god's masterpiece is pretty special that's every one of us a god's masterpiece when we've be- when we've been born again we become that masterpiece and we're that masterpiece to do good things we're not just here to fill in time until we die and go to heaven we are created to do good things and Jesus talked about producing fruit. I believe that's what he was talking about. And what Paul was talking about, those good things, producing fruit for the kingdom. We can produce fruit for our own world on earth, but it doesn't necessarily mean we're producing fruit for the kingdom. And um Paul also uses the vine. Paul also the vine Paul also uses the body as an analogy for that connection. Jesus used the vine. He said, we need to be connected. We're branches and he's the vine and we need to be connected into him. And that's why he's was saying, remain in me. Paul talked about being a body and the church is made up and we're all part of that body. But you can imagine what happens if I cut that hand off and it's not part of my body anymore. It doesn't last very long beyond the nose fairly quickly it needs to remain in the body and connected for that blood to flow and that's the same analogy jesus used with the vine it needs to remain in the vine and those branches need to remain in the vine and he says that his father prunes that to make it even more fruitful he cuts off the stuff in our lives that aren't helpful and uh, we can probably all sort of think think of things that we could do that is not helpful in, uh, in Corinthians 3 Paul again talks about building on our lives we can build all sorts of things he talks about building with hay and stubble and straw and their work will be shown for what it is because the day will come and will bring it to light it will be revealed with fire and the fire will test the quality of each person's work and that verse goes on to say that the things that are built of wood hay and stubble will be burned up but the things that are built of, of precious stones and gold the things of value things of value for the kingdom will remain and they're eternal things paul also goes on to say that it's not about salvation because even if we built a lot of worthless stuff in this world and it's burned up as if you and we haven't i haven't got it up there but he goes on to say that it will be like a man escaping through the flames where he will be saved but he won't have anything to show for it so it's not about our fruit it's not about our salvation it's about our calling of what we leave for eternity and um it's scripture's quite clear we're not saved by good works but good works are what we're put here to do to reach people for christ and sow into people's lives for eternity so we're going to have a look then at the foxes we've looked at the vine we've looked at the fruit and we're going to look at the foxes there's four foxes we'll look at and the first fox the first thing that steals fruit is complaining and grumbling before I do that I will look at those four foxes the second fox is jealousy the third one is anxiety and fear all these things steal the fruit all these things take away from what God wants us to, to be and the fourth one is selfishness and pride but let's look at not sure that I've got it up there so, this, song of Solomon where this comes from where Solomon says catch for us the foxes the little foxes that ruin the vineyards and our vineyards that are in bloom and um, the vineyards that are in bloom it's interesting that they steal the fruit before they even formed those little foxes came in and ruined the blossoms that eventually turn into the fruit it's a little bit like that with Satan and our lives. He will. There are things that will come into us which will stop us being fruitful. And um, if we look at the context in Scripture, there's two aspects of it. Firstly, he sa- the context is referring to relationships and the things that spoil them. And the Song of Solomon is a love song, and it's a song about his warning that relationship about the things that will steal from it the things that will come in and uh and ruin the the, ruin their relationship and um and the second thing that it talks about is the things that apply to us all that apply to any relationship the fruits that are stolen are the love the joy the peace the patience, the long suffering, they're the things that are taken from us. And uh, if we don't watch out for these foxes. So the first one is uh the first one is from um Philippians two fourteen and says, Do everything without complaining and arguing. Scriptures plain about the things that can take away from us, and uh The NIV version of that says grumbling, calls it grumbling. Grumbling is a problem because it means we're not looking to God and trusting Him. We're looking to human circumstances. In fact, anything that takes us away from trusting God um, stops us being fruitful. It it focuses us on human effort. And, uh, And it also brings fear. It brings brings fear and destroys faith we see uh when we look at israel how they grumbled they grumbled in the wilderness because god was feeding them on manna and they said instead of being thankful that we're being fed every day they started to grumble oh we need we need more than manna so god sent them quails so they all raced out and got all these quails to eat and thought it was fantastic and then they started to grumble because they only had quails um god got quite angry with them because they were never satisfied because they always looked instead of in faith and looking to god and saying hey god these quails are great but how about some veggies um they just started grumbling and we can get caught up in that we can get caught in that so easily that instead of looking to god um we look to the circumstances and and it destroys our faith It, it takes away from our trust so that's just one of the little foxes that comes in to destroy relationships it could destroy marriage relationships because it means you're starting to not instead of you're looking at the negative in your circumstances instead of the positive instead of working towards solutions you just start grumbling the second little fox is jealousy and jealousy does pretty much the same thing it starts looking outside it starts it, it it comes from lack of faith. It it's looking at some somebody else's grass is always greener. And um James three sixteen says Where you where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. Selfish ambition, it's all when it's all all your ambition's about self. When all your life is about self, that's when jealousy comes in. And um, you start to look and you start to envy other people that have got something different. You think they've got more, but they've just got something different. And so you start to measure your life and compare it with somebody else's when it's actually not what God has called you for anyway. So um, jealousy is really about comparing yourself to others. And it's not looking to God in faith, to uh, to focus on running our own race. For Him, Uh, we always look at what's the race that somebody else is running. It prevents our focus being on our calling, and it distracts us from what the assignment that God has called us to. And each of it's going to be different. It's a bit like your fingerprint. Not one of our fingerprints is the same. And God's assignment for you is going to be different to the person next to you. We need to look to that and not compare. The third little fox is anxiety. And we all know how worry can lead to more and more anxious thoughts. And we start to worry. (coughs) And that means if we're worried, we're not trusting and um and if we're trusting we're not worried Not it's quite that easy it seems to creep in doesn't it and um the scripture there it says we need to pray about everything through prayer and supplication make your requests known to god you know there's actual command not to be anxious and uh we all know how that's not as easy as it sounds very easy to say not to worry but it's a real effort to be able to i think just pray about it and help ask god to help take that worry away help us to trust him when you know it could be like world war three going on around us and i can only imagine the fear and anxiety of the people that are caught up in these bushfires um it's very easy to sit back when there's no fire and think "Well, oh, i just have to trust god um When you're going to be burned alive, it's a little bit different. So we can't be sort of um, too pious about this because sooner or later we're going to find our own fire. We're going to be tested. But there's a great song that we sing that he is with us in the fire and he's with us in the flood. And uh, he he doesn't promise that we won't have fires. He doesn't promise that we won't have catastrophes. But he does promise to be with us in that time and that's where we need to look and he will show us a way through and um, and that will make a huge difference to our anxiety so if we suffer from being anxious or even just worrying we just need to turn to him more often and um, you know in there in uh, 2 timothy 1 to 7 it says for god has not given us a spirit of fear or a spirit of timidity, as it says there, but a spirit of power and of love and of self-discipline. Fear is not from God, so if you are feeling anxious and in fear, realize that God didn't send that; the enemy has. That's one of his little foxes. Anxiety is one of those little foxes that's come in to take away your peace. It's one of those little foxes that we need to keep out, and. Uh, Anxiety is one of those little foxes that will destroy our relationship because fear leads to panic and panic leads to poor decisions. And um, it's the last thing we need to be making panicky decisions because it becomes of the flesh. And um, we can see certainly uh, the big panic that goes around with people with these fires trying to blame the government and blame the Prime Minister and blame, you know, they've just panicked. And um, and we need to, you know, we need to just take a level, a level head about it. We see in, um, and I don't think I put the scripture up there, but Saul, when he was in Gilgal, and all the troops were around him quaking in fear. We see an example here. As he waited, and I'll just read it. He waited seven days, the time set by Samuel, but Samuel did not come to Gilgal and Saul's men began to scatter. So here we are, a picture of the Philistines about to attack Israel and they wanted the Lord's direction and blessing on Israel and so Samuel had to come and, um, and, and offer this, uh, these offerings and sacrifices to acknowledge God. But Saul panicked because Samuel didn't show up. And so because he was fear, it says there in verse 7, he, the troops with him were quaking in fear. He waited seven days, but the time set by Samuel had not come. And he said, bring me a bird offering and fellowship offerings. And Saul offered up the offerings just as he'd finished making the offerings himself rather than waiting on Samuel. Samuel arrived and samuel went out to greet him what have you done asked samuel saul replied when i saw all the men scattering and that you did not come at the set time and that the philistines were assembling at michmash i thought now the philistines will come down against me at gilgal and i have not sought the lord's favor so i felt compelled to offer the burnt offering you have done a foolish thing samuel said You have not kept the command of the lord your god gave you if you had he would have established your kingdom over israel for all time but now your kingdom will not endure you know our faith is often tested and that's where whether we rest in god and his word and what he's told us or whether we panic and take things into our own hands and um Our patience will be tested too, as Saul's was. But he didn't trust God. He panicked. And um, we need to trust God because fear kills creativity and focuses on our human inabilities. And that's a really dangerous thing. We need to sit back and allow God's creativity to give us solutions when we face these incredibly bad situations sometimes and the fourth little fox is selfishness and pride as the bible calls it selfish ambition and um, philippians 2 3 nothing do nothing out of selfish ambition and vain conceit but in humility consider others better than yourselves each of you should look not only to your own interests but also to the interests of others it's fairly clear that we're here not just for ourselves, we're here for others and we need to focus on others and um, selfish ambition is an interesting one because it's one we can easily get trapped in. It's selfish ambition is trying to get there for our ego or just for our own building, our own kingdom rather than God's kingdom and um it's a thing that's based around pride and you know in pride pride the be two types of pride and we see we see in uh proverbs proverbs 8:13 says the fear to fear the lord is to hate evil he said i hate pride and arrogance evil behavior and perverse speech so pride is a thing that god hates but there's a different sort of pride too each one of us should test his own actions then he can take pride in himself without comparing himself to somebody else there's a subtle difference between taking pride like thankfulness in what you've achieved or what you do without it being a part of your ego and and getting a big head i guess you can take pride in somebody else We can be proud of our children. There are healthy prides, which are not egotistical prides. So we shouldn't confuse um, with humility about beating ourselves up all the time and not even appreciating our achievements or celebrating them. And compared to the pride that goes to our heads and making us think we did it on our own and we're better than anybody else, there's two types. And the pride of selfish ambition was what caused Satan's downfall and caused him to be thrown out of heaven. back in Isaiah four and 12, and in Luke, Jesus referred to it in Luke 10:18, it talked about how Satan fell from heaven, because he wanted to be he wanted to be like the angels, he wanted to have it all for himself. he wanted to be like God. And so the really fundamental sin that came through right from the very beginning was the thing that, where Satan was thrown out of heaven. So pride was a pretty bad one of those foxes. So we need to build a fox-proof fence. We need to keep those sort of things out of our lives. And that's not so easy. It's not so easy. But I've got, there's a few actions that we can take. And I guess theory without action is just theory but there is actions as bible talks about and the first one is intimacy with god we see jesus example of this and we see that jesus talked about it very clearly in john 15 the first scripture we looked at where he says remain in me he was talking about having that relationship with him remain in me and i will remain in you this was the key thing jesus mentioned five times in that one chapter he said, "Remain in me," and so intimacy with God is is not just is not just something that um you you get just going to church or or whatever. It's something. It's the time you spend communicating, and um, it's the same. is true of your relationship with your spouse. You know, you can live in the same house and not communicate. Communicates more than just being there it's we can we know God is with us all the time it's a bit like being in a house with somebody you know they're there but there's no there's no intimacy there's no connection and there's no communication happening and so we need to be like that with with God we need to spend that time to really listen to him and talk to him and um, in the same way as human relationships Um, it's like any relationship and if we go back to that passage from the Song of Solomon where it was actually talking about a relationship uh, a love relationship uh, and the little foxes that steal from that that same thing occurs in any relationship that we need to focus on the second action we just need to practice his presence we need to talk to God and um, just because we can't literally see him, doesn't we, we need to know that he's there and to talk to him. We need to make that a thing that happens all the time. We don't just talk to God, you know, once a week or once a year. We, we can talk to him every moment of every day. And, um, and sometimes we'll need to escape the distractions around us uh, and have a special time. And Jesus did that. We saw regularly that Jesus escaped from the crowd. He went away into the wilderness or he went up into the mountains to have that special time with God. And if he needed to do it, how much more do we need to create that special time? And um, for some it's easier than others. I think of mums with small children and it's not easy to escape the constant needs of small children but there needs to be a time somewhere uh, somewhere um be nice if they all slept at the same time um when you can actually just sit down and talk to god but whoever we are whatever our situation is we need that time to talk to god and um and listen we need listening prayer as well and um we need and that will help us remain in him as jesus emphasized so many times And then ask yourselves: would Jesus feel at at home in our house? When we become a Christian, we invite Christ into our lives. We invite him. As Jesus said, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hears my voice and opens the door, you know, that scripture didn't say if anyone just asked me to come in. He asked if they'd open the door. And... um, we need to open up our lives to him and give him, give him that space. And I find the interesting thing, if, if we asked Jesus into our house, would we sit him down in the best seat in the lounge room and keep him out of the rest of it? Or would we make him welcome to the whole house? Sometimes in our lives we can keep him just in a little compartment without letting him into the whole house and then we say well trouble is those other rooms are a bit messy we didn't really want him in there because he wouldn't feel happy in there is there stuff in our lives that wouldn't he wouldn't feel happy about because we think well it's not really stuff that jesus would approve of the interesting thing is i can imagine if jesus came to our house he wouldn't want to just sit there he would want to help with the dishes. He'd probably even grab the vacuum cleaner if he spotted the carpet needed vacuuming. You know, he's not that sort of bloke that just sit there waiting to be waited on. And we know that because he even washed his disciples' feet. He got out there and he helped. The same in our lives. We don't just invite him into the best room. If we've got rooms in our house that really we are a bit embarrassed about, Jesus has come there to help clean them up. Jesus has came into, into our lives to help them be what he wants them to be. And uh, we need to put away that pride and say, okay, God, that room's a messy one. don't really want you to see it, but go in there and fix it. And he will. If there's stuff in our lives that we're a bit embarrassed about, we needn't be, because that's why he came. He came didn't come to a perfect person he came to us all as imperfect to help us clean up our houses and then he will feel at home how he would not how would you feel at home in somebody's house if you're only allowed sit in one seat in one room that was kept spotless for you you wouldn't feel very much at home would you you wouldn't feel that welcome like you think ah i need to get out of here you know Jesus, like that in your life. Let him into the whole lot. And, um, and if you've never invited him to come in, it'd be a good time to do it in a new year. I'm going to uh, hand back and let's maybe just before the band gets back, let's just pray. Father, we thank you that uh, you love us. Lord, that you want us to make you welcome. Help us to acknowledge that, Lord, we we need you, and we need you to clean up every room in our house and to help us do it. Lord, we just pray that this year we would determine to do that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.